Good to have you in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Open up your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, hallelujah, chapter 29. We're going to begin reading today at verse number 3. 2 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse number 3. So what, does, what does that got to do with Palm Sunday? Just let me, let me go to work this morning and before it's all said and done, you'll know. Amen? Hallelujah. I don't necessarily have the traditional Palm Sunday message for you this morning, but I am going to put it together. I am going to put it together. Amen? You know, oftentimes when we come to church on the Sunday, we call Palm Sunday, we focus on what happened that Sunday. And uh, we very seldom get to talk about what happened on Monday. And so we go throughout the week, we get to Wednesday, we talk about what happened on Wednesday. And we get to Friday, and we talk about what happened on Friday. And we get to Sunday, we talk about what happened on Sunday, uh, which is Resurrection Sunday. But Monday kind of eludes us. You know, for many of us, Monday is that, that disappointment day. Because, you know, after a nice weekend... You, you, it's a Sunday evening you're like oh, tomorrow is Monday and I want to submit to you that Jesus had that same kind of feeling on Monday and uh, so I want to talk about it today my hope is that we do get to shout today but just in case we do not we will shout on Wednesday and we will shout on Friday and we will shout on Sunday <laughs> Are you blessed in here, church? You ready to read? 2 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 3. I read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And the word of the Lord says as so. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Talking about Hezekiah. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them hear me ye Levites Levites worshipers those in charge of the house sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place for our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem and he had delivered them to trouble, to astonishment and to hissing as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, and our daughters, and our wives are in captivity for this. The enemy is after the family. Let me just throw that out there very quickly. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may be turned away from us. Next verse. My sons, be not now negligent. For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him. 
to serve him and that you should minister unto him and burn incense. In other words, send up the smoke of prayer once again. Next verse. Then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, and the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merari, Kish, and the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalel, oh God, and of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zima, and Eden, the son of Joah. Next verse. Thank you, Jesus. And of the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jael, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and of the sons of Haman, Jehiel, and Shimei, and of the sons of Jeduthan, Shemaiah, and Uziel. And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Next verse. I'm almost there. And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanliness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Last verse. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the 16th day of the first month, they made an end. Wow, that's a lot of reading. Amen. I feel an anointing on me just because I got through those names. I believe the Lord is with me this morning. Amen, saints. I want to talk to you under the subject, very simple title, but not a very simple message. And my title today is simply this, Home Inspection. Home Inspection. And then as a subtitle, I, I just decided to give you a little more. And it's simply this, maintenance or maintenance issues determine inspection results. Maintenance issues usually determine inspection results. Every now and again, God is going to come and inspect the house. But I'm not just talking about this house. I'm talking about this house. Amen, somebody? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. We give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask you now to have your way in this place. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Not sure if we're going to get through all this today, amen, but we're just going to let the Lord lead us. Is that all right, church? Amen. Listen, it's Passion Week. I told you that I was already in Passion Week last week. Amen. And I still am. And I want to submit to you that Jesus gets to a place in his life where now he is in the final week of his ministry. The final week of his ministry. And watch this. The final week of his life. And the Bible says that he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He sets his face. Can I just submit to you, and this is just food for thought, this ain't even what I'm really going to preach about today, but the closer you get to your destiny, the more focused one must become. I said he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and at that point in his life, you have to understand that for three years and a half, he's been working towards this moment. 
He has been getting ready for this moment. And now he gets to the place where he's saying, I'm not going back to Jericho, been there, not going back here, not going back here, not going back to Bethany. My face is set on Jerusalem. I'm getting close to my destiny. And the closer I get to my destiny, the more focused I must become. And you know, you know the story. Uh, the, the Roman people, like my wife mentioned a little while ago, are expecting him to overthrow the tyranny of Rome. They're expecting him to come and free them from Roman oppression. Amen? And the Bible says that he comes riding on a donkey. And, and, and here's the thing, saints, that is significant. That is significant. I don't even know why the Jews didn't understand it because when he came riding on the donkey, he was actually uh, fulfilling prophecy. I believe it was the prophecy of Zechariah who said that he will come lowly, humble, and riding on a donkey. They were expecting him to overthrow Rome. They thought he was coming for war. But if he was coming for war, he would have came on a white horse. They should have knew that. Hallelujah. But the fact that he came on a donkey meant that he was coming in peace. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so watch this. Here's what you need to understand about that. He doesn't just come to meet people's expectations. He comes to meet people's need. They were expecting him to do one thing. But he came to do what they needed. You see, because they thought that their problem was an outward problem. But he came to deliver them from the real problem, which was an inward problem. They're concerned with what was happening around them. But sometimes the reason something is happening around you is because of something that could be happening in you. And Jesus, in essence, hallelujah, comes in... And he sees what's happening outside. And if you know this story like I do, because, you know, we preach this every year. Uh, he sees what's happening outside and he weeps. But then he sets his face to the temple. And he goes into the temple. And all of a sudden, the one that came in peace kind of loses his peace. When he gets inside of the temple. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And to make a long story short, he turns the tables over in the temple, realizing that the reason these things are happening on the outside, one in particular is that the people did not recognize the day of the Lord's visitation. And the reason these things are happening on the outside is because of something that's not happening on the inside. He went in there and there was a lot of things happening there except the main thing. And so he was disappointed. But understand that he's so awesome that he still cleansed it. And you ought to want to thank God in here, hallelujah, that he took care of the real problem. Which was a sin problem. They thought the problem was the government. They thought it was a political problem, but the real problem was a sin problem. And he was disappointed with the house because he understands that the fate of the people does not lie with the government, but the fate of the people lies with the church. All right. 
So, he cleanses the temple. In other words, he goes in there to inspect it, and he's disappointed. Can I ask you a serious question in here? If Jesus did an inspection in your house, this temple today, would he find some tables that need to be turned over? Would he find some tables that need to be turned over? Hallelujah, Jesus. Some people read this story very loosely and assume that Jesus waited for the end of his life or the end of his ministry to take stock on his, on his house. But I will submit to you, watch this, because most of you who know a little bit of Bible will say this particular story is in all four Gospels. Amen? But what you have to understand about your Gospels is that uh, three of them are synoptic, which means that three of them are similar. Uh, three of them tell us similar stories, and there's a reason for that. It's because the synoptic Gospels, which is uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, chronicle the last two years of his life. But the Gospel of John chronicles the first year of his life. Amen? And so that's why you'll find miracles in John that you don't find in the other three Gospels. But you'll see very similar miracles and stories, uh, parables, in the other three Gospels. What I want to submit to you is that because since this story is in all four Gospels, it doesn't mean that it happened only once. Stay with me. Watch this. We all know that he cleanses the temple in the last week of his ministry. But what you did not know, perhaps, is that he also cleansed the temple in the first week of his ministry. Because when you go to the book of John, it's in chapter number three where you'll find the story of him cleansing the temple while John chronicles the first year of his ministry. And most scholars agree that he did it in the first week of his ministry, right after he does his first miracle at the wedding in Cana. So he didn't just take stock at the end, he took stock in the beginning. Are you with me in this place? Uh, when he made the first man, Adam, you see him, hallelujah, uh, checking, inspecting what he made, and he said, yeah, that's very good. When there was nobody in the earth to say amen, he looked at his own work and said, that's pretty good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But how many of you know that didn't last very long? It didn't last long before defilement got in the temple. And if you go to the, that's in the beginning. You go to the end of the book in Revelation and you're going to see him inspecting his house. And if you know that like I do, you're going to see at least five out of the seven churches in Revelation failing inspection. Are you in this place, church? If you're blessed so far, shall glory. So every now and again, you need to inspect your house. I, I look at it like this. I like to do introspect before God comes to inspect. <laughs> because when God comes to inspect, I just want to make sure that I'm a pass inspection. Amen. And I mentioned a moment ago that maintenance is usually the key that will determine whether or not you pass inspection. Amen, somebody. 
If you're blessed in here, shout glory. So watch this. Sometimes when you do inspection, you're going to find out that there are some things that are broken that need to be repaired. You're going to find out also that there are some things that are missing and need to be restored. And then you're also going to find out that there are some things that are there that do not belong there and need to be removed. Are you in this place, church? And, and, and when we get to the house and we inspect it and we find some of these things, uh, we, have to, we have to realize what was neglected. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have to recognize what is happening and we have to restore that which is missing. And if we inspect, hallelujah, and we're honest with ourselves and do not find the house in an adequate form or shape, we need to do three things to get back on track. Three things to get back on track, hallelujah. I'm going to give them to you very quickly, hallelujah, and they're going to kind of flow through the rest of the sermon, but those three things are simply this. Watch this. And these are hard things to get from people today. Number one, commitment. Commitment. Getting back on track requires a commitment on your part, and you're going to see it in the story that we read today. Number two, consecration. Consecration. I know that sounds old school. I'm a little bit old school. And cleansing. Number three, cleansing. Cleansing. Let me give you a little backdrop here real quickly, hallelujah. I can't get into it too much because I don't have a lot of time, but understand that part of what's happening, hallelujah, is not happening because of Hezekiah. It's happening because of Hezekiah's father. Hezekiah's father, the previous leadership, has caused the people to develop some really bad habits. Uh, about 16 years of bad habits, to be exact. And uh, when you have been developing bad habits for 16 years, how many of you know that that could be very difficult to break? But Hezekiah teaches us something very quickly in this story as it pertains to dealing with bad habits. And the Bible allows us to know that he wastes no time no time as soon as he comes into leadership. In other words, uh, when it comes to bad habits, you deal with them immediately. You don't let bad habits linger because they just become worse. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then the next thing he does, and you're going to see it in the story later, is that he takes it by the roots. He's ta he takes it. Sometimes you got to go past the fruit to the root. Because some of us think that we just knock off a, a couple of bad fruits that the next ones that are going to grow are going to automatically be okay. But if the problem is a root issue, there'll be more fruit, but that fruit will be bad too. So you got to go past the fruit to the root. Are you with me in this place? And so watch this. The Bible lets us know when we look at the condition of the temple that we read about today, the first thing is that the Bible says that the doors of the temple were broken down. The doors of the temple were broken down. And I want to submit to you very quickly that our intimacy is affected by our interactions. Our intimacy is affected by our interactions. Our intimacy with God will be affected, watch this, by our interactions with things and people. Things that we let in and things that we let out. Because that's what a door is for. It's not just for entry, it is for exit. Hallelujah. Are you in this place? 
If you're blessed in here, shout glory. And when the doors of the temple have been broken, understand that what that does is it causes the enemy to have access to come in, hallelujah, and steal from that which is in the temple. Or bring in to the temple things that are not supposed to be in the temple. If you're in this place, shout glory. I need you to say this with me, hallelujah. My body is the temple of the living God. I am going to maintain my doors for him. Let me say this in this place, hallelujah. The Bible says that from out of the heart flow the issues of life. Amen. And so because of that, the challenge of the Christian is to guard his heart. But you don't guard a heart at the heart. You guard a heart at the doors. Okay. You, you don't guard a city in the city. You guard a city at the city gates. Because the city gates are an entry point to the city. And what you need to understand is that you have doors. And those doors are entry gates to your heart. They are the doors of your eyes. They are the doors of your ears. They are the doors of your mouth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And God is saying those things cannot be broken down or you will allow the enemy access into your temple. And the enemy don't need you to leave all the windows and all the doors open in your house. He just needs one entry point. A burglar only needs one entry point. You leave one entry point and he can burglarize the whole house. So the challenge is guard your heart. Did you not know that your heart is neutral? The Bible compares your heart to ground. The Bible compares your heart to a garden. A garden is neutral. In other words, whatever, you, whatever seeds you put in that garden, that garden is going to push up. If you put good seeds, that garden is going to push up good things. But if you put bad seeds in that garden, you'll wake up one morning like the parable and find weeds all over the place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's neutral. It'll push up whatever you put in. And so the Bible says because your heart is a garden, you have to tend it. You have to guard it. You have to be very careful concerning what is being received and what is being released out of your garden. If you're in this place, shout glory. The first thing that Hezekiah does is that he opens the doors. He, he opens the doors of the temple, but he doesn't just open them. He repairs them. The Bible says he fixed the doors of the temple. In other words, by doing that, hallelujah, he's saying, hallelujah, these doors are open for the presence of God. In other words, hallelujah, God has become our priority once again. Are you in this place, church? Are you keeping your doors for God? Are you blessed in here, church? Watch this. Verse 5 says this. Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Can I give you my next point real quickly? Filth accumulates when the house is left unattended. 
Where, where, where are the wives at? I need some help in here. Filth accumulates when the house is left unattended. The main reason for filth accumulating in the house is one word, neglect. It's negligence, neglect. The word neglect means to fail to care for properly. How many of you in here know that there is no such thing as a self-cleansing house? The ladies should be talking back to me. There ain't no such thing as a self-cleansing house. We wish, I know I wish, <laughs> that there was such a thing as a self-cleansing house. But how many of you know if the, if the house is going to remain clean, somebody's going to have to put in some work. There's going to have to be some sweat from the brow. There's going to have to be some rolling up of the sleeves. And somebody's going to have to get down and do some work. Not only that, there needs to be an innate desire to keep the house clean. I said there needs to be some innate desire not just to keep, not just to clean the house, but to keep the house clean. Because you can clean it one day and then... If you have four kids like me, it'll only take another day. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? So understand that a house, watch this, full of garbage gets that way as a result of neglect. If there's a mess in the house, most often it is because there has been negligence in the house. Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. Are you blessed in here? Watch this. The King James uses the word filthiness. In other words, uh, the NIV says, get the defilement out. The King James says, get the, get the filthiness out. And the word Filthiness in the Hebrew there means rejection. Get the spirit of rejection out of the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that word rejection is plaguing our society. I said it is plaguing our society. Rejection is the main cause or one of the main causes for immorality. Because people who have a spirit of rejection... People who feel like they are unac unaccepted all the time will go through great measures to try to reach some kind of acceptance. Are you in this place? And usually that reach for being acceptance will lead to immorality because we'll just take anything that sounds remotely close to being accepted. Hallelujah. So if the church don't get to them, but the gang members get to them. And tell them that we love you and you can be part of us. We'll go ahead and join the gang just so that we can feel some kind of acceptance. Hallelujah. We'll enter wrong relationships. And hook up with wrong people just so that we can have a sense of rejection. Mm. And in many cases, this is done through immorality. And I will submit to you that that will break down the doors of your house. If you're in this place, shout glory. glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
Watch this. The text goes on to say in verse 6, because now there's defilement in the house. Hallelujah. The Bible called it rubbish. And it said that the temple needed to be cleaned out. Verse 6 says this. Our fathers were unfaithful. Oh, boy. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. Can I give you my next point very quickly? Not every model is a good model. I said not every model is a good model. Even if the model is a father. You don't have to be out of the house in order to be an absentee father. You could be in the house and still be absent. You could be in the house, be there physically, but not be there emotionally, not be there spiritually, not be there relationally. Wow. Hallelujah. When the Bible says that they forsook God and turned their face away from him, what it's saying is that these fathers went somewhere they should have not gone. And then they tried to cover it up. And too many people today, hallelujah, are living with the scars of a father who went somewhere they were not supposed to go. I said too many people today are living with the scars, hallelujah, from a father who went somewhere that he should not have gone. Can I give you some statistics in here very quickly? Did you not know that every two seconds in America, a child is sexually abused? Over three million teenagers every year are sexually abused. The number one killer of children under five. Children under five, according to a medical book on pediatrics, is not disease. It's parents. That is alarming. Parents who went somewhere, they should not be. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And have brought corruption to the temple. Now watch this. Not just to their temple, but to the temples of their children. I said not just to their temple, but to the temples of their children. It is proven, watch this, not just through studies, but scripturally, that the sins of the fathers are passed down to the sons and to the daughters, even unto the fourth generation. Sometimes it'll skip a generation, but it didn't forget about you. And I'm going to submit to you, hallelujah, you who are here under the sound of my voice, whether you know it or not, one day you will be confronted and have to deal with your daddy's demon. I said one day, whether you know it or not, you are going to deal with and be confronted by your daddy's demon. Hallelujah. And that demon is coming to find out one thing. He's only going to have one question for you. And that is this. Who are you? Are you hearing what I'm saying? We refer to it many times as what is called a generational curse. But you have to understand and know that in the name of Jesus you have the power to break that curse I said you have the power to break that curse hallelujah I don't care what was running rampant in your family and all the generations before you he who the sun sets free is free indeed 
Oh, somebody better catch this. Hallelujah. And somebody better stand up in that house and declare the word of the Lord and prophesy in that house. Hallelujah. Before I came to Jesus, before I came to Jesus, hallelujah, lust, sexual immorality, hallelujah, fornication, you don't hear what I'm saying, adultery, alcohol was running rampant, hallelujah, in my family history until me and my brother got saved. And when me and my brother got saved, hallelujah, and God cleaned the house, hallelujah, now we started a new generation. It's a generation of blessings. I'm blessed. He's blessed. My children are blessed. Their children's children will be blessed in the name of Jesus hallelujah hallelujah where my father's at hallelujah fathers you got to stand up in that house hallelujah and determine as for me and my house we shall serve the Lord I'm determined I'm determined I'm determined to watch my great, 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 great grandchildren look up at my picture after I'm gone and say, man, that old man was a bad motor scooter. Ah, that old man right there, you don't hear what I'm saying. Not for my own glory, but for the glory of God. Hallelujah. He changed it. He changed it. He changed it. He turned it. God used him and he, he turned it around. Are you blessed in here, church? Woo! Woo, God! Hallelujah! 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 You can't have my kids. You can't have my kids. I know they're running wild. I know they're acting crazy right now. I know they don't have a good relationship with you now, but I do. Me and you have a covenant relationship. And because of that, you will extend mercy and grace upon my seed. Hey. You make sure your relationship with God is tight. Woo! Woo! Woman, the fruit of your womb is blessed. It's blessed. Hallelujah. My God, have mercy in here. Watch this. Many adults who do wrong today were victimized as children. Many adults who do wrong today were victimized as children. Something happened in their childhood long time ago that birthed the seed of corruption in their lives. And that's why they're bearing rotten fruit. But that does not have to continue. Hezekiah's father was evil, but Hezekiah did not come out like his father. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Just because you come from that neighborhood 
You know, you, you hear people saying all the time, you can take them out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto. Oh, yes, you can. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, you can. You don't hear what I'm saying. I'll get you out of Egypt. I might have to take you through a wilderness, but I'm going to get you ready for that promised land. Hey. I will renew your mind, cause you to think different. All you got to do is trust me. Put your faith in me. Hezekiah had a bad father, hallelujah, but he had some good mentors. Oh, let me, let me just say, hallelujah, how important it is to have some good mentors in your life. Hezekiah had Isaiah, what the Bible refers to as the eagle eye prophet. He saw so clear, he didn't miss it. That's why they call him the eagle eye prophet. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He had men in his life like Micah and Hosea, hallelujah. And so it doesn't even matter, hallelujah, as long as you get around some right people. You get around some godly people who are anointed, hallelujah. And you decide like the psalmist, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but gets in the counsel of people who know the word of God. God, help me in here. Then all of a sudden you end up blessed. Yeah, I ain't going to finish this. Are you blessed in here, church? Woo. Look at verse, verse 7 says, They also shut the doors of the portico, the porch, and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings in the sanctuary to God, to the God of Israel. Let me give you my next point. An unkept temple will shut God out. I said an unkept temple will shut God out. And it's not that God's not there. He's there. He's just knocking. You go to Revelation in one of the churches. See, we always use this, hallelujah. God is knocking at the door. God, and we usually use it in reference to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And we tell them, God is knocking on your door. And I guess it's innocent enough, but it's not Bible. It's not context. Because he wasn't talking to an unbeliever. He was talking to one of the seven churches. He's talking to a church and he's outside. And I had to ask myself the question, is it even possible to have church without God? And then I, and I heard the Holy Ghost say, yes it is. And so this particular church is having church without God. And God is knocking, trying to get in. He won't force his way in. He's a gentleman. He's not just going to force it. You got to invite him in. You want me in there? Create an environment that's conducive for my presence. And I'll get in that place. And I'll move in that place. And I'll heal in that place. And I'll deliver in that place. And I'll save in that place. And I'll touch in that place. And I'll transform in that place. But go ahead and get rigid and religious. Hallelujah. And self-righteous. And I'll be standing outside, waiting, knocking. I desire to sit with you. I desire to eat with you, break bread with you. I'm waiting for an invitation. Oh, God, have mercy. Now watch this. I said an unclean temple will shut God out. The Bible says that they had shut the doors of the temple 
when I read it and I looked it up in the Hebrew, the word shut meant surrendered. They surrendered the doors. And then I looked up the word door in the Hebrew in this particular power portion of scripture and it meant mouth. They surrendered their mouth. This is why I start losing my amens. I can feel them dwindling already. <laughs> they gave up control of their mouth. Oh God, hallelujah. Watch this. They surrendered their tongue to an alien language. That was not the language of God. They were speaking, but it wasn't what God was speaking. They were speaking something else and they surrendered their tongue to another language other than God. If the devil can get you talking wrong, he will. I said if the devil can get you talking wrong, he will because he understands the power of your words. He understands more than anybody that life and death is in the power of the tongue hallelujah he understands that in the same way your God created his world with his words that he gave you the power to create your world with your words and if he can watch this get you to start talking wrong he can get your little world to start collapsing if you're in this place shout glory hallelujah mm, that's why you ought not let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth and I'm not just talking about cussing. I am talking about cussing, but I'm not just talking about cussing. I'm talking about complaining. I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about causing contentions and divisions. Hallelujah. That will close God out. You'll assume you're okay because you're still talking to him. But the question is, will he still be talking to you? You will ruin intimacy with God, with the words, you surrender. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you know the power your words have? I said, do you know the power your words have? God comes up to a man named Ezekiel, takes him to a place called the Valley of Dry Bones. And the bones are dry. The Bible says they're very dry. And the Bible says they are scattered. But I want to submit to somebody in this place, hallelujah, that it doesn't matter how dry they are. And it does not matter how scattered they are. You look at this next young generation of teenagers and many people have given up on a young generation. Many people have determined, hallelujah, this generation is gone, hallelujah. We need to focus on the literal types because we just lost this generation. The devil is a liar. Never make the mistake, hallelujah, to give up a generation because your enemy knows if I can capture one generation, I'll take all the generations after it. But God always has a remnant. I said, God always has a remnant. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? And so watch this. He asks the prophet a question. And I believe he's asking you the question today. Can these bones live again? He knows. He knows he's asking the prophet. But the prophet's looking at the situation and going, man, this is really bad, God. This is really dry. They're really scattered. So he answers God by saying, only you know. I don't know. Only you know it. God said, prophesy to the bones. He says, speak 
to the bones. Hallelujah. He said, talk to the bones. Take my word and breathe it into those bones. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care how dry they are. I don't care how scattered they are. Prophesy. Talk to your children. I don't care what they're doing. It's always easy to point out the wrong that they're doing. Hallelujah. And we have no problem pointing out the wrong that they're doing and scolding them when they do wrong. Hallelujah. But when was that the last time you said something nice when they did something right? You can't just tell them when they're doing wrong things. You got to tell them when they do something right. Hallelujah. And sometimes you just got to flat out use your faith. Hallelujah. And call those things that are not as though they were hallelujah and when he's coming in the house at three o'clock in the morning stumbling you're gonna have to get up and say you mighty man of valor you child of the living God hallelujah I can't wait till you start preaching hallelujah I can't wait till the Holy Ghost gets you and you start stumbling for Jesus hallelujah because there ain't no high like the most high hey prophesy 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 you gotta call him Peter which means rock while his name is still Simon which means pebble God will always call you what you shall be cause he knows what he can do in the life of anybody who yields himself to him are you blessed in here oh boy he comes up to a tomb, hallelujah, of a man called Lazarus. And he says, where have you laid him? I love his attitude. Where have you laid him? Where is the dead man? Show me where the dead lay. I wish more Christians had that kind of attitude, hallelujah. Show me where the dead lay. And they say, Barry and Martha came to him and said, Master, you take it easy. Always somebody trying to calm down your faith because it's a little too radical for them. Relax, relax. Show me. They said, you don't understand. He's been dead for four days. You too late. His body has begun to decompose. As if the creator of time could be late. Whenever he shows up, it is the right time. I said, whenever he shows up, it is the right time. Matter of fact, I would dare say he waited on purpose because it was not the right time. Because if I would have came too early, I would have got a little bit of glory for healing you. But now that you're dead, when I raise you from the dead, I'm going to get a whole lot of glory. So let me help somebody who's waiting and thinks God is late. He's about to get a lot of glory out of that situation. I said when he shows up, he's about to get a lot of glory out of your situation. Whew. Comes into a house where they have a little girl who's dead. She's only 12. Dead at 12. I tell you, they're dying younger and younger every day getting pregnant at 12 using drugs at 12 looking at pornography at 12 
And they were in the house mourning the little girl. They had professional mourners. In those days, they paid people to come and cry. Isn't that crazy? And Jesus said, everybody who ain't got faith, get out. Get out. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Hallelujah. When your child is in a bad place, it doesn't matter who you connect with. I said, if you have a child that's in a bad place, it matters who you are connected with. Hallelujah. If my child is dying, I ain't going to get around people who do not believe. I need some people around me that will hook up with me and believe with me for that child. Listen. He said, everybody that don't believe, get out. Get out. And then he, two words, two words. Talithai kumai, which means damsel arise. And the little girl that was dead woke up, sat up in the bed, and Jesus said, get us something to eat. Ooh, are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. The worst thing you could do after God brings somebody back is not feed them. You don't hear this preacher. Not disciple them. Not give them the word. Somebody shout part two. Because that's what we're going to need. Hallelujah. Are you blessed in here? There's power in your words. I don't care how long it's been. Start talking right. I don't care if they've been lame for 38 years at a pool. <laughs> Jesus, you, know, you ever seen that story? Jesus asked this man a question, do you want to be made well? And the man started making excuses. To make a long story short, Jesus said, get up, take your bed, and walk. Never touched him. Sometimes it requires a touch. But let me just let you know that your God is so powerful. So powerful. My God. All he did was say, get up. Take your bed and walk. And 38 years of non-movement all of a sudden had to move. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A lot of you are praying, hallelujah. Listen, can I just help you in here? All you need is a word. I said, all you need is a word, hallelujah. Jesus, I need you to come to my house. Jesus, I need you to come to my house. Pastor, I need you to come to my house. Send all the elders, send the deacons, send somebody, but send somebody to my house. Let me help you in here. All you need is a word. It's amazing to me how in the Bible, the people who exemplified great faith weren't even believers. And God will take a centurion, hallelujah, to show us up sometimes. And there was a centurion in the Bible that came to Jesus and said, my servant is sick, Lord. I need you to come. And, and, and do so, I need you to do something about it. I know you can. I know you can. Jesus said, all right, let me just do what I do for everybody else. Let's go to your house. And he said, I didn't. Oh, no. You don't got to come to my house. Just speak the word. Ooh, God, help me in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just send a word in the direction of my house. He, listen to what he says. This is what a lot of people don't understand. He said, 
I am a man under authority. Check your Bible. See, because we usually really loosely, we think that it says, I'm a man in authority. That's not what he said. He said, I'm a man under authority. He said, I understand authority because I'm under authority. And I, because I'm under authority, I have authority. And I tell this person to go and they go. And I tell this person to come and they come. Hallelujah. I know I'm standing in the presence of authority. So you don't have to come to my house. All you got to do is use your authority. All you got to do is speak. Hallelujah. Oh God, have mercy in here. And the, and the servant was healed. And if you read that, that, that whole story carefully, he was curious when he got to the house. Asked his servants, what time, what, what time did it happen? And the Bible is clear letting us know that it happened the moment he spoke. Because there is no distance in faith. Faith can take time out of the equation. Faith can take time out of the equation. Some of you are looking at me funny. Hallelujah. Yet they ran out of wine. Hallelujah. Jesus' mother comes up to him and says, hey, do something. He said, woman, he gave her a theological answer. My time has not come yet. And she looked at him and said, yeah, right. Whatever he says to do, just do it. And faith took time out of the equation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A Syrophoenician comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is vexed with the devil. You got to do something. And he looked at her and said, woman, it's not meat for me to give the children's bread unto dogs. Now, where I come from, you can't call no woman a dog and get away with it. Where the ladies at in here? Somebody say, I know that's right. But look at this woman's faith. She said, yeah, you're right. But even the dogs get to eat from the crumbs that fall off the master's table. And even though it was not time for Gentiles to get a miracle because the word was going to the Jew first, Jesus said, that faith I cannot turn my head from. Boom, your child is healed. And time got taken out of the equation. Oh, do I got some people of faith in the room? Jesus I got 10 minutes somebody shout you can do it you got to watch what you say Jesus spoke to a fig tree and said curse you and the thing withered up and died on the spot life and death in the power of the tongue Jesus challenged his people and he said watch this because here's, here's what we do. We're often going up to somebody that we deem a, a, a man or a woman of God. And there's nothing wrong with this. So that, that they can pray over our situation. Or so that they can pray over our mountain. But when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, you speak to your mountain. And I want to tell somebody in this place that your mountain is waiting to hear your voice. I'll pray for it if you want me to, but I want to tell you right now, your mountain's waiting to hear your voice. Sometimes when the devil talks, you got to talk back to him. 
I said, sometimes when the enemy comes and tries to intimidate you so that you can close your mouth, not worship, not pray, not praise and be silent, you got to talk back to the devil. That's why I love David so much because when Goliath was out there for 40 days talking a whole lot and everybody in Israel was hiding in caves and nobody was saying nothing, David gets there. And when he hears the giant talking, hallelujah, he goes up to the giant and he talks back to him. The giant looks at David, he laughs, he mocks him, he says, who are you? Some child that you come at me, hallelujah, with sticks? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And David looked at him and said, oh, he said, ah, okay, okay, you come at me with vain words, hallelujah, and weapon and spear but I'm coming to you today in the name of the Lord and this day my God whom you have defiled is going to hand you over into my hands and when I finish with you I'm going to take your head off and I'm going to feed it to the birds sometimes you got to talk back sometimes you got to talk back to the devil not your parents Not your elders. Are you hearing this preacher? Let me give you my next point. When you surrender your mouth, you lose your true fire. When you surrender your mouth, when you no longer can control it or decide that you're not going to control it, you lose your fire. Oh God. If I had time, I would have took you to the book of James where the Bible says that they put bits in horses' mouths. And they put a bit in a horse's mouth. Have you ever seen it? They put a bit in a horse's mouth so that if the bit is in the mouth, they can move the horse any which way and any direction they want to. They'll make them go to the left. They'll make them go to the right. They'll make them go forward. They'll make them stop. They'll make them back up. Hallelujah. And in essence, what God is telling us through that is, if you let me control your mouth, I can control everything. If, but because you don't let me have control over your mouth, it's hard to control anything. Are you in this place, church? If you ever got a right view of God, you know what will happen immediately after that? you'll get a right view of yourself. Some of you don't have a right view of yourself because you don't have a right view of God. But if I took you to Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he was high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And then he got to talking about the seraphim. Seraphims are, the Bible says seraphim means burning ones. They're burning because they're close to God. They're burning because of what's coming out of their mouth. What's coming out of their mouth is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and they're on fire. Watch this. And when this man sees that, hallelujah, the first thing he says after he gets a right view of God and a right view of people who are on fire is he says, woe is me for I am undone. And then notice what he says, for I am a man of unclean lips. You know what he's saying? I'm not on fire because I have surrendered my mouth. He said, watch this. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people who has unclean lips. But when he confesses his right view, 
because he just now got a right view of God. The Bible says that one of the ones that was on fire, one of the seraphims, one of the burning ones came and took a coal from the altar and put it where? Put it where? Put it where? I need some scholars now. Put it on his mouth. Because if I can set your mouth on fire, if I can get you to start talking right, hallelujah, I can control the rest of you. You ever wonder why one of the initial evidences of being full of the Holy Ghost is in the mouth? Because it just lets people know that God is in control. Whether they spoke in tongues or whether they spoke the word with boldness, the evidence was The Bible says you're snared by the words of your mouth. What does that mean? Hung by the tongue. Just because your tongue is in a wet place doesn't mean it's allowed to slip. I'm losing my hand claps. I got four minutes. And I haven't got it to the good part. Oh, God. The moment you surrender your mouth to wrong living, the fire of God goes out. The lamps were taken out. Because they surrendered or shut the doors. Surrendered their mouths. Oh, God. When you do that, something comes and douses. Something cold douses your fire. The devil wants to pour water on the flame of God inside of your temple. Do not allow the light to go out in the temple. As a royal priesthood in the Old Testament, the responsibility of the priest was to maintain the fire burning. God originally lights it up. Jesus is going to light it up when he lights you up, when he saves you. But maintenance is your responsibility. They had to remove the ashes every day just to make sure that that fire didn't die out or become dim. They were responsible for fanning into flame. Oh, God, help me in here. The gift of God. They had to remove yesterday's ashes because you can't dwell on what got burnt up yesterday. Yesterday's manna is not good for today. Stop living off yesterday's revival. Stop living off what God did three years ago, five years. I remember ten years ago. Like he can't do nothing new today. Behold, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. I serve a God of the right now. Are you blessed in here, church? I think I got time maybe for one more. That's it. I'm on my fifth point. And I have 10. But I knew we were going to do two parts. I knew it coming in. So let me give you this last one. And we might not be able to take care of this next Sunday. Because we're going to be talking about the resurrection. But I, I promise you, the following Sunday, just keep it, keep it on the back of your mind. We're going to come back the following Sunday to finish this. Because I got to finish this. Amen. Or maybe I'll just do it on Wednesday. Yeah. Just come, just come, because you never know. Just come. Amen. Praise God. However the Lord leads. Hallelujah. Notice verse 7. Also say that they have not burned the incense, which means that the aroma of God has dissipated. 
out of the temple. No aroma of God. Oh, Jesus, have mercy in here. How many of you know that the aroma of Jesus is more powerful than the stench of death? I said, how many of you know? Now, you got to be a little bit old school. You got to go way back with me now for a moment, maybe to like the 60s and 70s. How many of you remember walking into a place where incense was lit? And, and, and you went into that place and you knew that incense had been lit because the whole place would smell like incense and it would be like, whoo, like. In other words, it was powerful. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I want to submit to you that the stench of the world is an affront to God. Watch this, hallelujah. When you walk around, people should smell Jesus on you. I said when you walk around, people should smell Jesus on you. But here's the reality, saint. You can't smell like that which you have not been in contact with. I said you can't smell like that which you have not been in contact with. Let me put it to you another way. Hallelujah. If you work in a restaurant uh, that cooks food when you come home because you've been in contact with that place, you're going to come home smelling like food. Amen, somebody. If you work in an automotive repair shop, if you're a mechanic, hallelujah, when you come home after being in that atmosphere, you're going to smell like grease. You're going to smell like oil. Come on, somebody. If you work in the field, when you come out of that field, you're going to come in the house smelling like that field. If you work for the sanitation department and your occupation has everything to do with touching dirty stuff, you're going to come home smelling Smelling dirty, but if you've been with God, hey God, if you've been in the presence of God, hallelujah, when you come out of that presence, you're going to come out smelling like what you've been in contact with. That's what I mean when I say that when people get near you, they should recognize we have spiritual senses, you know. We have a spiritual sense of smell. It's called discernment. I should be able to discern where you've been when you walk by. When you walk by, if you've been with God, something in me should jump. God, help me in here. I got to close. My time is up. Let me just say this. And this is food for thought. Let me just encourage you somebody. I want to end on a high note. Let me, let me try to encourage somebody in here very quickly. The aroma was gone. The incense they were not burning incense it is indicative of prayer they stopped praying no wonder the house is broken down when Jesus went into the temple to cleanse it he said my father's house I ain't lost shall be a, called a house of prayer but he came in and he was disappointed not because the house wasn't busy the house was busy doing a lot of things. But they weren't doing the main thing. And he was disappointed. Ooh, can I help somebody in here? You think because the situation has not changed that prayer is not working. 
But I will submit to you that the only reason you are making it through even though the mess ain't gone is because of prayer. Why, why? Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. Because the aroma of God is greater than the stench of death. Let me prove it and I'll close. Hallelujah. If you know anything about the temple of God in the Old Testament, they had an outer court. In that outer court is where they sacrificed the animals. They would sacrifice thousands in one day. On a day like the one we're talking about, hundreds of thousands in one day. Now, that's happening outside. All that blood is being spilled. Could you imagine the stench of death in the outer court? It was unbearable. Nobody could stand in all that death and be able to bear it. So what did the priest do? He would go inside. Unto the altar of incense, which is the altar of prayer. Send up the smoke of prayer. And then take the censer and come outside. Oh, that's how you're supposed to leave your house, by the way. Smoking. I said you're supposed to leave your house every morning smoking. He left. He leaves. The, the, the inner place comes out to the, order, to the outer court with the censer because the aroma of God is greater than the stench of death and watch 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 the mess is still there but now I can bear it because of prayer you don't hear what I'm saying I said it's not that the mess is gone but what most people can't bear I bear because I have a prayer life. Ooh, and what would have took somebody else out ain't taking me out. Because I have a prayer life. Are you blessed in here? Somebody give God praise. Come on, somebody give God praise in here. Hallelujah. Don't you give up on prayer. Uh, just because the situation ain't fixed yet. Hallelujah. Does not mean that your prayer is not working. Hallelujah. Your prayer is giving you power to bear the mess because the mess don't disappear in a day. It took 16 days to clean this house. It didn't get clean in one day. So you have to bear with the mess. And the best way to do it is through prayer. Oh God, have mercy in here. Jesus weeps because he says they're missing the day of my visitation. I came and they didn't even recognize it. And it's not a political issue. And he goes in the house. And said it's a house issue. As a church, we're supposed to take responsibility for our city. Not sit there and just point at the government and everybody else for the condition of the city. Jesus went in the temple and said the city is in that shape because of your prayerlessness. That was Monday. 
It's going to get real good. But Monday, which for many of us is the day of disappointment, was a day of disappointment for Jesus. But thank God he fixed it. I said, thank God he fixed it. Hallelujah. He's an expert at fixing inward problems. Inward problems. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. We sit there and blame everything else. Hallelujah. But chances are, if it's ugly out here, I'm done, church. I'm done, church. The prayer room will be open tomorrow night, by the way. Just felt like I throw that in there. He wasn't upset because they were selling stuff in the house. Because he knew they had to sell stuff in order to help upkeep the house. But merchants got in there to make personal profit. When the profit starts going in your pocket rather than the house of the Lord, then that's an issue. In the house of the Lord. And so he said, you have to get out because you have made something else greater than me in my house and when that happens I have to turn tables and some of us need to thank him thank him that he would come in even still and turn over a couple tables and clean the house I'm not, I'm not disappointed at all. I can receive this kind of message. Because if there's anything in me that's not like you, get it out, 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 get it out. Like the psalmist, search me, oh God. Search my heart. There might be something in there, hallelujah, that I didn't even know was in there. Take it out, 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 take it out. Take it out, take it out, take it out. I'm getting closer and closer to my destiny. I'm getting closer and closer to the fulfillment of my assignment. I'm about to accomplish my mission. Take it out, take it out, take it out, take it out. Take it out, take it out, take it out, take it out. Stand to your feet. We're going home. Oh, God. Tomorrow's Monday. If he decides to come tomorrow morning, will he find faith in the house?
Only Jesus. Only Jesus knows how to clean a house the right way. I don't care how good you clean up. Martha, I don't care how good you clean up. When I get in the house, I'll find something. Sometimes it's better just to throw the hands up and worship so that he can come down. And clean up the house. I gotta stop. I gotta stop. Are you blessed today, church? Hallelujah. Listen, I'm gonna encourage you for the rest of this week. Hallelujah. To be encouraged. Listen, we're celebrating this week. Hallelujah. What I believe is the greatest event of all history. He was getting that house ready for himself. My desire from the very beginning was to live in you. Not in a tabernacle made with hands, but a tabernacle I made. The Old Testament tabernacle was a moving tabernacle. It was a tent that moved because God's desire was to be in a tent that moved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Ooh, I'm cleaning it. Not just for you. I'm cleaning it for me. Because I'm coming to move in. And if you are in here under the sound of my voice. And you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? The Spirit of God is in the house, but He's a helper. He's not a maid. He's not cleaning it for you. He will assist you. He will help you. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you. But He's a helper. Hallelujah. God knows I could use help. But if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, that means that the cleaning of your house has been left up to you. And no matter what you do, you'll never be able to fully clean it up. temple.